0: Yes, hello and welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play, where we take sport seriously, at least sometimes. Uh, it's Paul Roach with you here as always, and it's a big welcome to some very good friends and colleagues in Stephen Riley. G'day, Riles.
1: G'day, Paul. G'day,
0: Simon. And uh, indeed, Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. How are you? Always good to see you, Roach. going well, thank you. Likewise, John. I'm back at you. Uh, ahead in the show, sports come out in support of The Voice, that is the proposed Group charged with advocating Indigenous interests to Parliament. Why do, and indeed should, sports take a position on social issues? We'll talk to leading corporate communication consultant Lachlan Johnson a little later in the show. We'll also look at coaches burning out, football's most valuable teams and most valuable match, and a couple of recent CEO changes in Australian sport. Naturally, we'll be wrapping it all up with red card, yellow card. Now, of course, you can get involved in red card, yellow card, where we mercifully take the mick out of uh, sports folk who've erred off the field of play uh, by using the hashtag RCYC on your favourite social media outlets uh, to let us know about any incidents uh, that you see that you feel should be nominations for red card, yellow card. And thank you for the various contributions we have received. Uh, speaking of the socials, on Twitter, you can find us at for and Against with an underscore at the end there, which doesn't seem to matter too much, at for and against, all one word. Insta4.and.against. Dot, dot, uh, and I think we've sort of, we've, we've sort of um, retired the Hotmail address. Haven't we, oh, try?
2: look, for old time's sake, <laughs> let's give it a run. 4
0: against at hotmail.com. Still waiting patiently. <laughs> and now let's get into the show. <laughs> to the voice. We're trying to understand it. Every sport is making it clear that they're not going to sit in silence and we've got nothing to fear. From voting yes, from voting yes in the upcoming referendum on giving our Indigenous brothers and sisters a constitutionally recognised voice in parliamentary decisions that affect them. With apologies to John Farnham. Good pick up there, Riles. Now, in the lead up to the referendum that's slated to be held in late 2023, a number of sports have individually embraced the yes case. But in late May, over 20 sports bodies, including all the obvious big ones, presented a unified front in supporting the establishment of the voice to parliament. It was a big moment in Australian sport, Jono, and we haven't seen sport wade into a social issue on this scale since the gay marriage vote, probably.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, 20 sporting codes, as you said, came out in support of it. I think Athletics Australia was the, uh, the lone voice that... Uh, <laughs> hasn't um, made its position public. But, yeah, really interesting to see. Keen to uh, kick this one around, I must say.
0: And, Riles, I mean, uh, as I say, probably not since the gay marriage uh, matter of a few years ago now, we've sort of seen this involvement of of sport. Well, I think the unified voice is the amazing thing here, more more than anything else.
1: Absolutely. Now, look, this is one of those topics where I'm really hoping... That we're all in uh, strong agreement, but we'll we'll see, Paul. I'm wary of why you bring this up. To me, it is obvious why sports are getting into this. They're part of the community. They're part of they. They believe in inclusiveness. So they want everyone to play in whatever game they they have. I'm really interested to see where you want to go.
0: Well, I mean, let's let's pick up on that just before we bring our guest. So to answer your question, Ross, I'm interested in exploring the whys and wherefores. Of sports getting involved, and, and as I say, we'll talk to our guests and meant to explore some of them at a professional level. But so, does sport reflect society, or is it a leading indicator, or does it take its cues from society? I mean, it's it to me, it seems to be acting in a fairly progressive kind of way, which I'm fine with. Just a sort of spoiler alert, I'm fine with that. But I'm just, does it not? Does a given sport not run the risk of alienating a, a part of their fan base by coming out with a with a view on an issue that's that's does divide people.
1: Uh, y- yes, they do run the risk, but they run the risk on the side of including people to come and play their sport. Mm. If, if if they're going to exclude people who want to have a, a smaller portion of the community play, I think that's a fair risk and trade-off to make. Mm. Fair enough.
2: Long history of it, Rochi. I mean, long history of athletes standing up. You know, you had uh, Muhammad Ali with the Vietnam War, Billie Jean King, I think for you know equal pay, Colin Kaepernick taking the knee. But yeah, it's, it's a massive thing when the sporting organisation itself um, takes these
0: steps. And I think that's the difference between histo- because historically it was individuals because the organisations didn't have the spine maybe or maybe the own, their own financial clout that enabled them to be independent enough. But um, okay, so a bit of a furious agreement here on the panel, but let's look a bit deeper into why sports organisations wade into these issues and, and what sort of thinking goes on at head office before they do. So Joining us now is Lachlan Johnston, who has run corporate communications for some of the biggest companies in the land, now runs his own consultancy in corporate affairs. Lachlan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me. Uh, Our pleasure, mate. Our pleasure. Good to have you on. Hi, Stephen. Hi, Simon. Hey, Lachlan. Uh, Now, first up, Lachlan, uh, can we just do a bit of corporate communications, corporate affairs 101? Why do, just to reduce it to its simplest, why do companies and organizations employ people like your good self? Uh, What's the rationale for managing the way they present themselves to the world? What are they trying to achieve?
3: Uh, Look, there's a lot of audiences that for whether it's a company or a sporting code that need to be communicated with essentially. And you need to like anything like you need a lawyer or you need someone who manages operations. uh, You need to organise yourself in the way you do that. And uh, ideally put your best foot forward, but also, you know, have, have a central point at which uh, at which the organization speaks out to the public whether it's via the media or or by social media or, or other means
2: Auckland well, keen to um, I guess get your take uh, your hot take on this issue in particular why do you think these sporting organizations are all speaking with one voice effectively at this time um, you know is it a such a strong social movement that, as we said in in the intro, that it is, you know, sport reflecting perhaps a a change in society's views, but but why is it that um, at this point in time it's happening, do you think?
3: I heard what you were saying earlier and um, I think Stephen captured it pretty well. The truth of this is, you know, if you like a hottest take is they didn't always. They didn't always support these sort of moments and they've changed with the times, but only fairly recently. I mean the Adam Goods uh, issue, I suppose you could call it. only occurred in the last 10 years. Colin Kaepernick that you talked about earlier, Simon, that was in 2016. And these are people who are sadly ostracized uh, for taking a stance on, on issues around equality, which is essentially what The Voice is dealing with. So, I mean, why do organizations do it? I think you could argue pretty simply that, you know, um, They've actually been led there by the players, uh, who who are the talent in, the, in these businesses, uh, and the clubs, are, are the clubs and the codes have come right, around to realising that point that Stephen made, which is that inclusion is the right approach, and actually, where perhaps I disagree with you, there, there isn't a lot of downside. Um, fans generally haven't stayed away uh, because they've seen the NRL and the AFL supporting Indigenous players uh, through Indigenous rounds. You know, there is an element people will disagree, but that doesn't actually show up in the business. And, um, you know, other American sports have seen this, actually. You know, the, the ones that have taken more progressive stance on, on matters like Black Lives Matter uh, have actually stayed in front of the narrative and in front of the story, if you like, whereas those who've been a bit slower, uh, dare I say, the NFL, Um, have worn a lot of brand damage uh, because of that. So a bit of of a long hot take there, Simon. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Look, I I think, Lachlan, the really interesting thing that you said there was the players leading them, Mm. leading us there. I I think that there's something in that. I mean, you go back a few years in the Players' Tribune, uh, a few few players' websites, a whole lot of players doing podcasts right now, they, mm-hmm. they used to basically vie for media attention getting an interview hoping someone came into the dressing room afterwards and put the mic in their, in their face but now they're making their own media getting their own followings this is a different dynamic for sport than it was uh, even five years ago I reckon but it's uh, and I, look, I think uh, if I look back to the most recent time when a, a sport really caved it was the NBA, with China, uh, mm. where they were scared to death. But again, I think, I think if that, were happen to, to, if that were to happen today, the players might just win the day. I'm interested in your thought about player power.
3: Yeah, look, it's it, it's true, and uh, I said it before. They're the talent, and you know we, we've seen it uh, at home in Australia with with cricket, um, and and more recently with netball. The players are, uh, are more, more confident in taking public stances. And I suppose that, Stephen, one way to answer your question is, every generation of sport, sporting um, professional, if you like, uh, move on. You know, in the in the 80s in cricket, for example, and indeed in some of the, the football codes, we started to see them professionalise. And they got very much, they became very much more aware of their value uh, and started demanding, if you like, better compensation. Uh, I think what we're seeing now is players becoming much more aware of their voice, you know, that uh, they've got a platform and they can use it. And the, and the power is real. And in fact, it, I wouldn't even call it player power. I just, I'd say the players are the ones who are, you know, often younger than the administrators, you know, <laughs> actually often closer to the fans. Uh, so they bring those perspectives in. And what, they're, what we're finding is they're a bit more confident in doing it. And in the case of someone like Colin Kaepernick, it's, that they've been unafraid in actually sort of saying, well, if it's the end of my career, that's okay because this actually matters hmm. to me as a principle.
0: Hmm. Lachlan, what are the, uh, to what degree do the actions of these sporting organisations, uh, are they in parallel with the kind of actions that a, a corporate, a, a big company would take and, and what are the differences? Are the, the PR people, the commons people within sporting organisations Broadly thinking along the same lines, is it managed differently in sport to how it is in the in the corporate world?
3: Uh, I wouldn't say so. I'd say it's it, it's fairly close in in terms of a principle. They're, mm-hmm. they're different kind of businesses, I suppose, than than the corporate world. But across the corporate world, you have many different kinds of businesses as well. Something I'd say about sport, certainly, for example, the football codes here in Australia, but also in in American sport, they're actually some of the social political social positions that they're taking actually reflect, you know, the the group that of players that play. I mean, there's four percent of the Australian population is of uh, Indigenous uh, descent, but about thirteen percent of the NRL players are Indigenous. I think it's around ten percent for the AFL. In the NBA, uh, I saw something the other day that said I think it's seventy five percent Black American so th- this is reflective of their organization. So if you like if you employees, these organizations have to embrace you know what what the identity, the cultural identities that exist within within their sort of employee base.
0: I suppose there's a bit of a cycle here, isn't there? A company has its values that are that are sort of derived from their employees. And if a company wants to sort of portray those values, it's natural. it reflects the the will or desires or values of the employees, and that then ties into the cause, which, you know, the employees or the players in this case uh, also want. So it's kind of, a, I'm not sure if that's a virtuous circle, but uh, it, there's there's something cyclical about that, I think uh, it sounds like. John. Jono, sorry.
2: Yeah, no, I was going to ask, Lachlan, um, I mean, you talked about, or uh, well, you mentioned that potentially it's not that much different uh, in the PR world dealing with sports organisations and, and major corporates. I'd be interested in, I guess, your thoughts on how it might have played out within, you know, major sporting org- organisations when you have those major... Comms issues relating to player power in recent times. So you know, you alluded to the the I think the Pat Cummins and Olymp- Alinta um, sponsorship, and obviously what happened with Netball Australia. You know, what how would that have played out within the sporting organisation itself, where you've got a, a head of comms there that has so many different stakeholders that they have to manage. You know, the player who's using their platform, as you've said, you've got the organisation itself that has to answer to sponsors. Must be an exceptionally difficult juggling act there
3: Mm. yeah absolutely and and remember these are businesses and they need to um, operate as a business to to be able to compensate and remunerate their the players but uh and therefore you have sponsors but again in many cases sponsors are actually moving uh along these lines you're seeing different kinds of sponsors coming into sport for example innovation is, is been uh, become a sponsor, here, particularly in the AFL but also the NRL. different kinds of companies. It's, it's not necessarily just the, the, the plain old fast-moving consumer goods of the past. So yeah there would have been, I'm sure there would have been diff- difficult conversations, but I think Paul hit upon it that this, this is something like the Voice is a chance for these organizations to really step forward and an expression about their values. Um, you know, what what they stand up for and what they don't walk past and all organisations, any organisation can get in a a, a state of confusion about its values at a moment like that. But I think in many cases, you end up seeing the organisation resolve according to its values and the values are are those being expressed by the members of the organisation, if I can put it that way. And in the case of players, they're members of the organisation. In fact, they're very important members. Like I said, they're often the talent. So it's a juggling act, definitely, because there's always compromises to make. But I mean, even even with the situation with Netball, I think where that resolve was, they Netball Australia took the relatively supportive position in the end. And actually what happened was a different kind of sponsor came in.
1: Mm. Yeah, Lachlan, I'm interested to know how you think the sports are preparing or prepare for the Twitter blowback. You know, I think you, your typical corporate sees, you know, a few negative remarks come up on Twitter and then they build up a head of steam and then a, there's a pile-on after that. You know, when a, a big sporting organisation goes down this road of of supporting its values, they are, you know, they're, they're going to attract some negativity in the social media world. How do they hold their nerve? Yeah,
3: I think there's a case of you can never get it 100% right, but staying staying on values and making the judgments as you move along, if you continue doing that, you will get to a better place. Hmm. The fantastic thing about sport, particularly professional sport, is the narrative always does move. Uh, And so while something can sit as the power of sport and what you guys are here talking about every week, we'll build up new stories. So... I go my advice go go back to the values that matter the values that matter to the organization to the people who, who work there that's the, that's players but it's also administrators referees everyone else and you know continue to make decisions along those lines and even if you don't get them all right eventually you will get to a place that you can you know show those values and actually sort of come out on the right side of the reputation ledger
0: mmm for a Moment there, Lachlan. I thought you were suggesting the news cycle moves so quickly it's not that hard to bury a bad news story in sport, <laughs>
3: <laughs> not yet, not, not quite anymore. But it's interesting, uh, small stories move on, but deep ones that matter to a lot of people don't. Uh, and then what happens is, as well, you have stories that recur, or nar- uh, rather than a story, I call it a narrative that recurs. I mean, we've been some. Cases of potentially uh, allegedly racist ab- abuse of players from from um, from the stands this year in different sporting codes. Every time that surfaces again, it sort of it in the end comes back to the the sort of core organisation, how they respond, how they deal with it, and you know in truth, what we're starting to see. Well, I think the NRL called it one. It is again people like coaches like Jason Dimitri, Speaking very clearly and powerfully about how it's no longer acceptable. Taking those moments, if you like, that's that's where to the point you raised, Stephen. You, you know, continue to take the moments to demonstrate the values and what you don't walk past, uh, and you can come away with people saying, well, "Well, well done." You know, other codes have have battled with that. I think so at some points this year.
0: Lachlan, before we let you go, as much as we all have all agreed that this. Willingness of sporting organisations to take a voice on public matters is a relative new phenomenon, and I must say, up until about 24 hours ago, I thought it was too. But in my extensive research for this uh, this, this segment, in other words, I bumped into this on Twitter. Someone, I, wish, I should be, I should have credited the person who the Twitter handle I found this on. My apologies, to that person. Here's a they had a photo of a page from a thing called the SA, as in South Australia, the SA Football Budget some sort of magazine or program kind of thing, dated the 20th of May, I think it is, 1967. And it reads, To the football-loving public of South Australia, a yes vote to the second question in the referendum next Saturday, the 27th of May, will give Aborigines a better deal. We urge all fair-minded Australians to vote yes for Aboriginal rights.
2: That was the most successful referendum in Australia's history. Ah, To allow um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders to um, be counted
0: in the census. So there you go. Um, so there's a little bit of, that's what, that 50 years ago? Um, it's uh, There is a little bit of history there of sport, sporting organisations uh, sticking their neck out. Uh, Lachlan Johnson, thank you very much for joining us on For and Against. Very good.
3: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: And uh, the last word I'm going to give to Mel Meninga, who was at that press conference with the, uh, the 20-odd sporting events. And he said words to the effect of... Uh, This is not a case of doing this for them or on behalf of them. It's about taking action with them, and I think that's generally how we operate in sport. You bring your team along with you. You act collectively to achieve success. I can see great benefit in it. Much better than one of his previous political statements. (laughs) (laughs) His political career, that famous
2: interview. Good good on your mouth.
0: So there you go, sporting sporting organisations and The Voice, a very interesting topic. (laughs) Yes, on to the shootout now where we cover a few more topics in slightly shorter fashion. Now, Jono, Damien Hardwick pulled the pin on his coaching gig at the Richmond Tigers on the spot uh, recently, been at the helm for 13 years. He almost got the chop uh, in the early years but before, of course, somewhat famously winning three flags in four, which is uh, not a bad achievement, but uh, he'd had enough But 13 years, it's a pretty good stint. It is a good stint, Rochi
2: but um, I think there's a little bit more to this story and, and mm-hmm. worth uh, briefly discussing. So he said to um, Richmond CEO Brendan Gale, I'm done, I'm cooked. And it's a bit of a, I wouldn't say a common theme, but it's something that's coming out with uh, some top-level coaches in recent times where um, there is this issue of mental and physical burnout. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll say no doubt he's been there 13 seasons, so perhaps not surprising. It's I was kind of thinking I'm, that. Yeah. Indeed. Um, but, you know, I did a little bit of... A deep dive, a bit of research here, You'd Be nice. pleased to know, and um, cool. the there is a paper <sighs> written by a doctoral research fellow at the Norwegian School of Sport Sciences mm. called "Coaching Burnout in Top-Level Sport." Mm. It's getting a little bit of traction at the moment, and it was some really interesting research. So, apparently, one in four. Coaches at a really high level across Europe say that they feel a high level of fatigue, an important symptom of burnout. An individual will rarely experiences burnout without being very passionate about their job. And top-level coaches have these, I guess, personality traits that they're driven by a love of the sport. Um, their job, bit of is ego, a personal surely, interest. bit of ego for sure. And there's also, I think, practical challenges that um, coaches of top-level sports face, Um, you know, extensive travelling, limited delegation of responsibilities, maybe some internal conflicts, all those sorts of things. So, you know, Hardwick's one example. I guess in recent times, Alistair Clarkson, potentially influenced by, you know, the Mm. ongoing investigation that's going on, but he said similar things, that he was, you know, pretty much mentally burnt out. Against that, you have, you know, the NRL coaches who have been around for donkey's years, but yeah, I just thought it was quite
0: interesting. Steve, you've, uh, you've coached your daughter's side uh, for a year or two. How, how is, how's the burnout going at your end?
1: <laughs> um, look, I, uh, <laughs> I've, I think this is really interesting. It's another example. Of, in, in fact, after Lachlan's uh, um, comments earlier about the increasing progressiveness and wisdom of the community, I think this is another example where we've grown quite a lot. You know, I know if, if I look back on my own, you know professional career i i went through burnout uh, a couple of years ago and uh, a couple of decades ago i should say that was uh, based on doing 16 hours a day six days a week and you know you you just run out of room for you know uh, any sort of unexpected things because you you you're right at your edge and i think when you look at sporting coaches yeah you know, and some people won't give them any pity because they know what they're stepping into but it is a sixteen-hour, unrelenting, six isn't days it? a week, high-pressure. Absolutely, and the judgment is yeah, constant public eye, and um, mm. from, from fans and foes alike. It's. Uh, it's pretty intense.
2: I think it's a good point, um, that sort of more self-awareness and the fact that, you know, it is more common amongst society to be able to talk about that. So, you know, five, ten years ago, I don't think he would have said that, that I was cooked or, or burnt out or would have been as comfortable saying that. It might have been something different. But, yeah, I think it's a really good point, Ross, that it's become, you know, far more accepted and, you know, part of society, as you say.
0: Instead of family reasons, quote-unquote. Mm. Uh, I uh I mean, the English Premier League has always seemed to be a bit of a hotbed of, you know, in, out, in, out, like really super pressure. There's not a lot of forgiveness. You know, there can be a lot of turnover in a club that's not doing well or doing well as as what its fans expect. So the English Premier League uh, apparently managers, coaches, have an average lifespan there of 1.7 years over the last, uh, I think it was 20 years, 10 10 or 20 years. So, um, so I
2: reckon there'd be a few long-standing managers who are keeping that average up. I would have thought it'd be a bit less than that. Uh, Sien yeah. Wenger at Arsenal,
0: yeah. 18
1: years, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, skewed yeah. the stats there. Um, so so they, they don't have time to burn out, right? If you, if you, if you lose seven games in a row, you're done.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's a mercy killing, so to speak. Ange Postacoglu, careful what you wish yeah, for. Yeah, exactly. it would be interesting to see how he goes. Go Ange. Uh, look, um, sticking to football, as it turns out, there's a segue for you. Uh, we love our lists here on For and Against, and Sportico came out with the 50 most valuable football teams, calculating each team's revenue based on publicly available financial statements for the most part. Uh, now, revenue uh, for, for the purposes of this measure consists of three main buckets, that is broadcast deals, commercial, so sponsorships, advertising, etc., cetera, and uh, also match day, which is uh, fairly apparent. On the broadcast side of things, I love this. So, um, Real Madrid had the highest broadcast revenue for the period, the 2021-22, 20, at three hundred and sixty three million dollars. This is US dollars. Uh, at the other end of the spectrum, major league soccer clubs earned uh, not quite ten million dollars. I think uh, what was it? The top fifty clubs. Oh, first, any guesses as to who's the top? Or did you, I suppose you've already cheated and had a look, haven't you? Uh, I had a squeeze. A squeeze. Richie, yeah. yeah. Well, um, Rise, have you had a squeeze too?
1: I have, I'm afraid. Yeah, okay. Yes, but I was very pleased with the result.
0: Yeah, Manu leading the way. Real Madrid. Uh, so Manu at nudging six bill. Real Madrid 5.2 bill. Barcelona just under five. Liverpool 4.7. And Bayern Munich 4.5 for thereabouts.
2: I mean, I know it's a football list, but it is interesting to do a really quick comparator with a couple of other sports. Mm-hmm. So IPL franchises, what do you reckon oh, the lead wow. IPL franchises would be? That's a really in good that, question. In okay. that list. Oh, I, would have, I wouldn't have said much more than a couple of bills So yeah, one bill, but with a bullet So they've sure. been doubling over the years So, yeah. you know, they're looking to probably take over or, or get
0: to that level And then what about NFL clubs? Uh, six, seven, eight bill? Yeah, so New NBA would be similar, the top end anyway
2: Yeah, New England Patriots, about six bills So very similar to the, the top level of the Premier League club or the football mm. clubs Good, so Good you know, a lot of money
1: What's interesting to me is Man U haven't won for yeah. a long time. Yeah, a long time. Yeah, and and to be fair, I think even their star power in the last uh, half dozen years, they did have Ronaldo back for a few years. Maybe maybe a couple. Of, well, did he last a year? Two years? Yeah. Um, Good question. But they're still they still have that mystique about them. I think that's that's incredible.
0: Well, I think that um, uh, where did I read it? Manu still gets a hundred million dollars a year from Adidas in their kit deal. That's pretty good going. That's, Decent coin. That's uh, that is a good game. But it's 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 that brand thing, isn't it? It is brand. It's uh, you know what is it? One hundred eighty three percent of Manu fans live outside of England or have never been to Old Trafford or something like I'm that. Sure,
2: Adidas sell a lot of shirts and shoes. Oh,
0: no doubt, no doubt. Oddly enough, I couldn't find too many A League teams on the list there. Sydney FC not up there, no, not in the top fifty. No, the entry shame. Just uh, for the A League's benefit, the entry hurdle is five hundred and twenty-five million. That was the fiftieth place team on the list. Just missed out. The New York uh, Red Bulls. Uh, but listen, on to the most valuable match, uh, and look. This is you know this is a well-known phenomenon. The the last match of the Championship, uh, which used to be called First Division back in the day, so the second tier of the English Professional uh, League. Uh, there is a playoff for the third and final team to get promoted to the Premier League. Uh, Riles, are you across the facts of this one? Did you did you take it in or anything like that?
1: Oh, more or less. The uh, you know uh, Coventry and Luton Town played for the honour, and I think uh, you can get me the uh, it, there are all sorts of numbers being thrown about here. A hundred and seventy million. Is it dollars or pounds? Yeah, it is
0: maybe it's pounds because I've got two hundred million US in front of me here. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah. That's what it's worth that's winning what, that game. That is what it's worth, and it's essentially Cracky. because of broadcast revenue. So, wow. Let me give you the background. So, Luton Town did beat Coventry. Um, Thirty-one years since they've been in the top flight. Uh, yeah, two hundred million US confirming that as a result of that promotion. And now that's <laughs> their revenue last year was twenty mil. Um, so that's a nice little jump, jump for them. The club was acquired. Uh, they're just outside London. They were acquired for seven dollars in two thousand and three. Uh, oh. the owners the owners almost the owners lasted about well, not quite two months, almost took the club to bankruptcy and dropped down to fifth division. Their stadium, you've probably seen this on social media now, only holds ten thousand people and you actually have to go some to get to some stands you have to go through houses or backyards <laughs> to get to it. You haven't seen that? No, look no. look up Kennelworth Road on, on your favourite social media or your, your internet search thingy, Bob and uh, yeah, your dead said so you have to walk through the, the terraces to get to the terraces. They did. enough, they did it by not spending that much on wages. So they don't have a celebrity backer or an oil-rich Gulf state uh, in their pocket. Uh, only spent nine million dollars on wages last year, uh, last season, I should say, or the season just passed, which is only a third of the Championship's big spenders, Burnley and Watford, who spent about thirty-three mil. So yeah, look, it's fair to say it's a little bit of a step up for for um, for Luton Town, exactly. Thank you. The EPL's TV deal is three point one billion. The uh, EFL, the Championship, is uh, about three hundred and fifty mil. So
2: good going. I mean, I reckon a close second when it comes to most valuable games would oh, yeah. have been Wrexham FC versus Notts <laughs> County a ah, couple of weeks before that. Um, and spoiler alert for anyone who's actually watching the show and not following the uh, the result. Wrexham won and have been promoted. So um, they've cemented their promotion to the EFL League 2, having oh. been a non-league side. This is the Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElwaney, yes. hollywood, backed, hollywood uh, go, Yeah, Right, there you go. So yeah, big there, money in that game. The,
1: well, I don't know that there was that much money in that game, except maybe for, uh, is it on Apple TV? Well, whatever they're, they're broadcasting the, uh, the series on. Um, therein
0: lies the money, right, Steve?
1: Well, this is true. This is true. I, I just think it's. I think it's important to recognise just actually how this game played out. It was one all. It went to extra time. It went to penalties, mm. and then it was one six five on penalties. <laughs> so you could argue it was one kick that was worth the most two hundred million, 200 million dollars. The or most dollars. valuable kick
0: oh. in oh. football. It's incredible. And what I love too about what Luton Town gets is it's if they get relegated again next year, they're still in the money. So they still get where is it? Um, the increase in revenue includes about seventy or eighty million dollars in parachute payments if they get relegated next season to help them get get this to help them adapt to the reduced revenues back in the championship. <laughs> 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 of course, it's not a patch on the most valuable tipping comp, most, most valuable English Premier League tipping comp. Oh, here well we done, go. I'm happy to report I won. Going away. Lunch is on you, mate. Absolutely. Yeah, terrific. All right, that's enough on football. Uh, There's been a few CEOs uh, coming and going in the world of Australian uh, Australian sport in recent times. So the AFL has finally found their man, which means Gil McLaughlin can finally step down. Um, So after the obligatory global search came the obligatory finding of the right candidate in the office next to Gil, funnily enough, uh, with Andrew Dillon, uh, who was currently the Executive General Manager of Football Operations, Legal, Integrity and General Counsel which does prompt the question, what did that leave Gill to actually do? So, yeah, Andrew Dillon will take the reins uh, when they can prize Gill out of the big chair in the corner office, which I think is the end of this season, the 2023 season, which will be his 10th. Royal Zero Man in Melbourne, uh, good appointment. Uh, thoughts, comments?
1: So, so two things to say on this. One is, I think, uh, given, again, the stuff that Lachlan Johnson was talking about earlier, uh, it's probably no surprise that you put a lawyer in charge of a sporting organisation these days. So there's there's some argument for that. The second thing I'll say is it's a fantastic appointment because I know Andrew Dillon personally. He was one of the coaches of my daughter in the under elevens. Oh, uh, he obviously didn't burn out team. No, and you
0: didn't it, burn out roles, yeah, yeah, that's support it, that little support.
1: This is true. He had four daughters uh, all playing footy at, at different levels. No one called him Andrew except me, which is, is my way. Everyone else calls him Dills. He is a lovely guy, loves his footy. It's, uh, I, you know, I could, my first point about being a lawyer is a little bit cynical, a little bit practical, but the second point is he loves his footy. It's a great appointment.
2: Well, you know, if I could just throw a little bit of petrol on on that car, I'm not (laughs) sure about that, Riles. I mean, yes, he comes from a family of lawyers, footballers and priests. He went to Xavier College. He Ah, could not be more Melbourne establishment. He's male and he's an internal candidate. So... I have to say, uh, you know, there was a very well-qualified potential female candidate there, Kylie Watson-Wheeler, club president of Western Bulldogs. She's an unbelievably senior and impressive exec at Disney, an Aussie who's made good at the highest echelons mm. of US tech and media management. I reckon, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, I don't know what happened there with the executive search system there with the AFL, but um, they went with the safe option, Ross
1: Mm. Yeah, look, I, I don't know that, that I, I think she's a fantastic candidate. It's it's a good call. Um, and I'm delighted to see your progressive values showing there, Simon. But <laughs> I think if I if I were surveying the scene here, I think the guy, the candidate that came second, was actually another fella, uh, Brendan Brennan Gale. Brendan Gale, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, from from Richmond, a known yeah, footy and, person, absolutely. And there was certainly a, a lot of the press, yeah, you know, were were up in arms uh, about that. Yeah, and he's he's a lawyer as well, I think, from memory. So. You know, there's some good candidates vying for one of the, the more important roles in the Australian community.
0: Hmm. Anyway, well, it's uh, well, interesting to see how Andrew goes when he slots into the big chair, as I say, at the conclusion of the 2023 season. And uh, good to have that personal endorsement there from Riles. So uh, hopefully that uh, that pans out okay for you, Steve-O. Uh, meanwhile, Rugby Australia went through another one, another CEO, Andy Marinos, uh, seemingly left on his own terms, he joined Rugby Australia in only February of 2021, uh, with a mandate then to just secure the future of, of rugby, which in a, was in a fairly parlous state at the time, because COVID came around and so forth. On the upside, I suppose, in those two years, he's overseen significant change uh, in Australia, in Rugby Australia, given uh, the financial turnaround, and also, as in, they were at a loss, they're now running at a profit. Uh, I think it was $8 bucks the last time they reported. Uh, And obviously some major tournaments uh, coming up as well that have been locked in in his time. But two years doesn't seem like a long time in uh, a CEO's chair, even for rugby.
2: And can't imagine him leaving on his own terms with a Rugby World Cup coming up later in the year. There's a few junkets to look forward to. I don't know the inside word here, but I'm think he might have been pushed.
1: Yeah, no, I'm in the in the same boat. I, I just feel like we're we're missing something here. I appreciate it. it's a tough gig, you know? The the AFL is a wonderful gig, mm. pillar of the community, rugby union at the moment in the last decade is lost. So, yeah, you know, maybe it wasn't what he thought it would be. Maybe he's been pushed. I think there's more to hear on this story down the road.
0: Yeah, he's sticking around to help them recruit the new person, which is, you know, the only evidence I have to suggest that he, uh, you know, he hasn't been shoved aside. But, um, yeah, it's a good point you made, Steve, and we've covered it extensively here on the show, that um, Ruby itself is in a bit of trouble. So that uh, potentially is a poison chalice. On to red card, yellow card, our favourite part of the show where we um, nominate people in the sporting world who've mucked up off the field of play and uh, give them a yellow card or a red card depending on the severity of their misdemeanour. Steve-O, what do you got for us this show?
1: I have the former world heavyweight boxing champion of the world, world, Deontay Wilder who was arrested in L.A. Well, and, and I, I suspect, you know, there's a, a little bit, um, there's an interesting societal angle on this a little bit. He's been pulled over by the cops. They've smelled marijuana. They've searched the car. They've found some marijuana, but they've also found a gun. And uh, and so he's he's been arrested. And he's defended himself in Twitter with a very um, short and succinct oh, – or short and succinct? Can you be long and succinct? I'm uh, not sure you can. What the hell? Maybe I just was. Uh, where he said, <laughs> I'd rather be safe than sorry. The end. <laughs> well, this, uh, this is in LA,
0: is it? Did you say? A Gun yeah. and marijuana.
1: A gun, it's, marijuana. They're both legal, it, aren't
2: they?
0: Well, as I was going to say, in most states in the, in the states now, you can – more and than, more than you can't, you can um, – you know, marijuana's green light. No big deal.
1: Yeah, I think it's the gun. I think it's the gun. But yeah, it there's an interesting comment about uh, society over there that that a guy that is one of the most dangerous men on the planet with his fist still feels the need to carry a gun. So maybe I should let him off a little bit.
0: I don't mind sm- someone carrying a gun if they're smoking dope. I think that's <laughs> not a bad combination, frankly. I don't think people quite realise that that's probably you know it's a lot better than a lot of other things you can mix uh, mix guns with. Um. So what do you what are you nominating? Sure. What are you awarding there, Steve? Is that a yellow? Uh, I- i have got to get yellow. Yeah. Okay. Not green. Indeed. Jono, red card, yellow card nomination, please.
2: I'm going Tiger Woods. Uh, yeah. And look, Tigers, I do love a good Tiger Woods scandal. There's been plenty of them over the years, as you know. No shortage. He's become embroiled. Um, I do love that word in that's, red card, good yellow word. card that's context. Good um, another good one might be imbroglio. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, he's been embroiled. In an imbroglio? In, in an imbroglio. Awesome. A, a legal stash with his ex-girlfriend. Uh, Erica Herman. Now, you probably haven't heard of Erica, but um, Erica and Tiger dated for a number of years. This was well after his split from his ex-Swedish wife, um, Ellen Nodgren. Nordgren. Anyway, it's become quite an ugly parting of the ways between Tiger and Erica. That's not good. There's some legal action on foot, and mm-hmm. of course, being America, all of this legal action has become press fodder. And there's been some. Interesting reports as what, as to what's going on. She is suing him for for thirty million US dollars, claiming that lowball, Ty- yeah, yeah, um, bit of an ambit claim. Who knows? Claiming that Tiger promised her that she could continue to live in Tiger's Florida mansion for eleven years, but apparently kicked um, her out after five years. At a recent hearing, Miss Herman's lawyers accused Tiger of beginning the sexual relationship when she was his employee and threatening to fire her if she didn't sign an NDA. And what I think really takes this to a particularly new low, mm. the latest pleadings, I've done a lot of research and mm. actually dug out the pleadings, actually, I'm <laughs> pleased to know. Um, they alleged, Who'd you bill this to, <laughs> Jono? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they allege that Tiger arranged for his lawyer to break up with Miss Herman at an airport last year after luring her <laughs> to the airport by falsely telling her they, go- they were going away on a weekend trip. <gasps> And directly after that, apparently the locks were changed and she was evicted from Tiger's
0: $54 million mansion.
2: She's evicted from Tigerland. Yeah. So proceedings are ongoing. Watch this space. I don't know. I,
0: so she, hang on, but I think the key bit here is that he broke up with her through his lawyer. Yeah. And there was a bait and switch. Yeah. Going over for the weekend. Ah, <laughs> oh, actually, sorry. No, it's just me and you're out of here. I mean, brutal. What if, a romantic. What brutal. <laughs>
2: Poor Tiger. I mean, he's, he's been very unlucky in life. It's love. got to be close to red, Jono. That sort of carry on. I, I think red. I mean, he did wear Sunday yeah. red Tiger for many years, but this is this is red. What are you laughing at, Rolls?
1: <laughs> uh, I, just, I just just think the idea of feeling sorry for Tiger is uh, a little laughable.
0: He's yeah. <laughs> just so unlucky, unlucky. Oh, I feel sorry for him, like I'm sure the vast majority of people do. Now, uh, my one. Port Adelaide has reportedly threatened legal action over a beer... That's been created dedicated to Young Gun Jason Horn Francis and his departure from North Melbourne. Now, apparently, Queensland's white label brewing, brewing, sorry, offered to send the club uh, that being Port Adelaide a case of Ice Bath beer, which references an incident in 2022 when Horn Francis apparently refused an ice bath and was subsequently dropped. And this is at North Melbourne. Uh, now the the beer can itself shows a caricature of the uh, of the fella, the player, sitting in a North Melbourne coloured ice bath and holding a can. Now the beer was originally listed for sale, but it's since been withdrawn after something of uh, a degree of tension with Port Adelaide and lawyers have been involved. Now spokesperson for White Label Brewing said that the idea behind the beer was for it to be a bit of an icebreaker for the hot topic, which is running amok at the moment in the AFL and on social media. So had, you know, good, good, uh, good. Vibes behind it. It was a bit tongue in cheek. Look at not being professional because that was the last straw for North, you know, when Horn Francis refused the ice bath. But I'll skip the next bit because it just goes on and on about they were just trying to do the right thing and then all in good faith. Um, But an email supposedly from uh, Port, Port Adelaide Power CEO Matthew Richardson not only declined the kind offer of a free case of this beer, but told the brewery. "Quote unquote, this is not light-hearted fun, as you put it. The AFL and AFLPA, the player association, have been informed. You should remove any use of Jason's image immediately and any reference to him. Please pr- pr- remove this product ASAP. Legal action is pending. What an imbroglio. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a pain in the
2: derriere legal department. I mean, yeah, not a lot in that. Is oh, a bit of an overreaction. I reckon."
0: Um, you know, only a yellow for the the legal department, and what's well, Port Adelaide generally for their red card for the over slightly reaction. sensitive, just a little bit sensitive there, Jeepers, guys! Just relax, relax. So we're we going yellow. Or you want yeah, you're yellow? Red? I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, I was going red. I think. Yeah. I mean, for goodness' sake, you know, you just lighten up, someone. Yeah, lighten up. Yeah. I, I think if they were Disney, you'd understand, right? Because someone's making a buck off someone else's image and the like. But this this is promoting the sport in a yeah, maybe ask for a cut or ask for something to go to charity but mm. you know, cease and desist seems yep. uh, yeah a bit over the top to me i will say
0: red talk me into it Ross let's go red let's not muck around yeah, red it is yeah yeah good stuff look and with that being determined that brings us to the end of the red card yellow card which also therefore brings us to the end of another exciting episode of For and Against so uh, Stephen Riley it's goodbye to you
1: Hey, Paul. See you, Simon. See you, everyone. Simon
0: Johnson, see you all much later. Ta-da, Roachie. ta Ta-da, Roach. And it's goodbye from me, Paul Roach. Thank you for joining us once again on For and Against. Don't forget, find us on Twitter at ForandAgainst and on Insta, for.and.against. Until next time, then, it's bye for now.